So, the invitation is always at a Dharma Pons Against the Stream retreat is to talk about uh, our own, as teachers, experience, disclose how we practice uh, the various tools. Uh, and so I'm going to use this time to introduce the way the Brahma Viharas were taught to me. And there, I have a slightly different take than probably what uh, you've been practicing throughout the week, which certainly doesn't mean that anyone's practices are wrong or right, but the farthest thing from the truth. There's just different ways of uh, understanding and implementing the metta, karuna, mudita, upekka tools commonly known as the divine abodes. So when I was newly sober in the 1990s, I was not filled with a lot of love or compassion. (laughs) And um, I was looking for some kind of spiritual tool uh, to develop some degree of self-forgiveness. And um, I was already, at that time, a regular attendee of various uh, meditation centers as I had grown up in a Buddhist family, but I hadn't really been introduced to a formal metta practice. And at what point somebody uh, gave me, we traded in those days cassettes, of Dharma teachers. This is how long ago it was. Cassettes were then replaced by CDs. Uh, and I, when I first met my friend Craig, he had this whole booklet of CDs filled with different forest monks. But before that, there were these little white cassettes that had been copied after copied after copied. And the, and, uh, the sound would be all worn down and so there was, on one of them, a tape of um, the Kamatahana teacher, Tanisaro Bhikkhu, otherwise known as Tan Jeff. And he taught a kind of interesting take on metta that was very different than any I'd heard. And it was a little bit, as you'll see, uh, perhaps... Uh, it had a different slant that allowed a sort of uh, neurotic, overly rational, intellectual person, especially myself, who didn't want to simply go around wishing people happiness uh, unless I had good reason to. (laughs) (laughs) So in this tradition... um, Karma is understood to be uh, the positive and negative emotions that have causes. They don't just arrive by accident. Our emotions uh, essentially arise as the result of our actions. If we take actions that connect us well with the people around us, with the tribe, that we belong with our friends, then we feel positive emotions. 
And if we do actions that are selfish or harmful, then we feel negative emotions like shame or guilt. And if we don't feel shame or guilt, then it means we probably feel a lot of self-justification and rationalization. So, interestingly enough, over the years of having heard this first from Tan Jeff, that emotions were essentially the way that karma plays out, and that they are directly the result of how um, socially skillful our acts are. There's now been a ton of books by people like Matthew Lieberman, Barbara Fredrickson, so forth, neurobiologists, neuroscientists, who show that, in fact, the emotional mind is, in fact, the part of the brain that keeps us connected to other people, and that our emotions are directly the litmus-like result of how securely and reliably connected we feel. So when we act in ways that jeopardize our standing or how uh, in bonded we are to others, then we feel bad. So even in retreats, where we do very little transgressions, we can see at times the guilt or the shame uh, flare up. We might... Um, accidentally have our phone go off or our, we might sleep through a, uh, the morning set or we might uh, accidentally do something that is, of course, um, breaks the container. And then, of course, there's this feeling of discomfort and um, that is that feeling of discomfort, that remorse, is a socializing emotion. It keeps us, of course, geared towards acting in ways that are more uh, connected and more caring to the people around us. Now, <coughs> if the head is working correctly, we see that we've made a mistake, we feel the discomfort, and we move on. That's, the, that's generally the, the role, that's the way it should play out. Unfortunately, the head sometimes will see that we've experienced some guilt or shame, and maybe not on the retreat, maybe previously before we've arrived, and it will feel the sense of, I've done something wrong, and it will then turn it into a story about how awful I am, how different I am, I'm the one. I'm the one whose mind won't quiet down. I'm the one who sleeps late. I'm the one who can't sleep. I'm the one who... Uh, uh, whatever. <laughs> so we, we take it personally, and then we get caught up in the, the inner drama. And instead of karma working the way it should, where we make an action, we feel the result... We go, oh, I'm not going to do that again. We move on. Instead, it turns into this whole mishigash. So the role of the heart with the Brahma Viharas, as Tanjav said, is to clear out all of that nonsense we add, all that self-blame, all that inability to forgive and simply learn from our mistakes and move on. And to forgive as well other people so that we don't continue to add stories and throw more firewood into the burning 
flames. So when the heart works, it uses the Brahma Viharas to forgive, to be compassionate, to wish kindness. And um, I'm just going to review them very quickly. There's four. I'm sure you've already heard them this week. Goodwill from the tradition of the Thai forest monks is the wish that other people and oneself will act skillfully so that we feel positive emotions, happiness, joy, pride, esteem. So my teacher, Tan Jeff, said we don't wish that people who are acting poorly feel good or are happy. That would be contradicting karma, that would be contradicting the law of, you know, of how the socializing mind works. That would be completely working against the Dharma itself. So what we're wishing is that people, when they're acting unskillfully, we are wishing that they act skillfully so that they can feel good. So I don't wish Dick Cheney happiness. <laughs> I never have. And I probably never will until he starts changing his tune. But I have, as a practice, wished that Dick Cheney would act skillfully so that he would feel happiness. Now, some people hear this and they go, well, isn't that a very... Uh, are you, you know, aren't you adding a layer before you feel karma, I mean, meta for somebody? And actually, it's really interesting, in the Karaniya Metta Sutta, the Buddha says, this wish is for people who act skillfully. He doesn't say that we wish metta for all beings. He says, this is a wish for all beings who act in ways that do not cause, um, the exact language is um, uh, 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 not rejection, um, consternation by the wise. So he's saying that this practice, at least in my understanding, and of course there's many interpretations and they're all valid. So if goodwill is the wish that I and other beings will act skillfully so that we can feel pride, esteem, joy, connected, you know, bonded, then compassion is how goodwill responds when we encounter people that are causing their own suffering or when we're causing our own suffering, when our minds are stuck and thinking thoughts that are needlessly self-punitive, self-judgmental, so, compassion sees suffering and it wishes, most of all, that the suffering will cease due to our taking skillful actions, our taking care of ourselves, our reaching out to people who will be loving and empathetic, our uh, spiritual practice. Sympathetic joy which is mudita, then is the sense of when we see that we are acting skillfully, that we're helping others, that we're being generous, and that we're feeling uh, good 
or a sense of pride or esteem, a sense of uh, fulfillment, that we'll continue those actions and that we'll get to continue more positive emotions. So you see that, I hope I'm making the logic clear, that in each case we're focusing on the actions that create the emotions. And we're hoping that if the actions create negative emotions, that the person will change their actions. But if their actions are skillful and are creating positive sense of joy and happiness, then we're wishing that people will continue and that will continue. And for me, this is very uh, important. The great neurobiologist Rick Hansen, who's also a Buddhist teacher, talks about how the mind is hardwired towards negativity bias. It takes about five times as many positive experiences to undo one negative experience in life. We remember a negative experience in one-twentieth the amount of time that it takes for a positive experience to be embedded in the mind. We, if marriages fail unless each member responds to five times more bids for attention than the one bid that they neglect. A study by John Gottman. So we're all hardwired to negativity, looking at you know, our mistakes and mistakes of others, and to not really give ourselves enough credit for our efforts the times we try. So sympathetic joy is a real you know, possibility to stop and reflect and address this imbalance by holding in the mind the skillful deeds that we do to feel the positive emotions that result, to link them together, and to wish and to encourage ourselves to continue. So it's an excellent practice to help us uh, get energy and to continue in our practice. Now the fourth, the fourth Brahma-Vihara, equanimity, is, uh, or Upekka, is very rarely taught because it's kind of a counterbalance to the first three. And it's basically the Brahma-Vihara that allows us to detach when no matter how hard we try in situations, no matter how skillful we try to act, uh, things don't get any better. Now that doesn't mean, for instance, that there's not a point in trying, but once in a while, there'll be one of those relationships where no matter how much we try to do the best we can and we try to explain our, or offer our wisdom or we try to offer a safe container, we try to listen or we try to be helpful, there are those occurrences when we simply cannot be of help. No matter how much effort we put in, the relationship cannot be repaired or the person is not prepared to listen to our uh, advice. I know that due to my father's early drunken years as a violent alcoholic, uh, when he actually did have um, uh, something of value to tell me, because of all those years growing up under his uh, lash, I was never ready to hear him tell me when it was time for me to get sober. So I had to... You know, he had to detach 
with love and learn how to let me bottom out and find sobriety on my own. And that's just one example of many. There is just times in life where we care for somebody or we, are, we care about a loved one and they're going to do what they're going to do and we have to allow them to make the mistakes so that they have the karmic implications and if hopefully they learn. And sometimes they don't. But if we don't learn how to detach from those situations, not only will they suffer, but we will suffer. And that's not a good result. Tom Jeff used the analogy of a heart doctor who could perform a very rare operation. And that heart doctor has each week hundreds of people waiting to meet with him to you know, find out if they qualify for the operation. And you wouldn't want that heart doctor to become so overwrought with the one patient that they couldn't help, that they couldn't pull away and see and help patients that they could help. So there are times in life where no matter how much we want to stay involved, no matter how much we want to ruminate about a relationship with someone, no matter how much we want to figure out the right way to behave with someone, there comes a time to learn how to let go. And that's what equanimity is about. Detaching with love. Knowing what needs to be done and doing it. So I'm going to lead these four Brahma-Viharas. And in keeping with uh, the meta yesterday, uh, I'm going to use all four to help us work with our own inner experience. We'll use goodwill to help us recognize and uh, wish uh, that our efforts here will bear fruition. We'll use compassion to help forgive ourselves for the times we've acted unskillfully and the time and our, any suffering that we had. We'll use sympathetic joy as a way to acknowledge our skillfulness. And we'll use equanimity to help us let go from any thinking about other people that might still be going on in our retreat. And also just to help us uh, learn how to detach as well from certain obsessive thoughts. So find a really comfortable position. Closing the eyes. Let's just take a few breaths just to all come into the practice together. Taking a nice full long in-breath. Holding it. Releasing it. Relaxing into the body. Seeing if we can lower our awareness from the head into at least stretching awareness down to the chest. Another long, full in-breath. 
holding it and breathing out and then seeing if we can stretch awareness a little bit further down into the body sternum top of the belly and then one last breath together holding it holding it and then long, smooth out-breath, and then allowing your, with the out-breath, just feeling all the way down the body, past the belly, through the legs, all the way down. So bring to mind an image of yourself sitting here at this retreat, Noting that what we're doing is a very, at times, solitary endeavor. There'll be no parades for us down New York, uh, Wall Street, when we come back from this retreat, or Boston, or wherever we're going. Nobody will be throwing a ticker tape parade. So this is an endeavor where we reward and note our efforts. You are here to try to cultivate awareness, inner peace, the ability to override impulses and choose skillfully to take care of all the parts of ourself which have gone unacknowledged. And all of these are worthy endeavors. When we have inner peace, we're so much less likely to cause harm. When we understand this practice, we act in ways that don't harm others. And so this practice is not just for our own benefit, but for the benefit of all beings. Knowing this, visualizing yourself, use whatever version of the phrase, may I feel safe, happy, and loved. May I feel safe, happy, and loved. May I feel safe, happy, and loved. Knowing that we are sitting in a hall filled with other spiritual practitioners, all of whom have come to cultivate similar goals and intentions to develop peace, to develop a sense of 
inner awareness to open and heal old wounds, to find a sense of freedom in life. And knowing that I wish to feel safe, happy, and loved, may all the beings here with me today feel safe, happy, and loved. May all people here today feel safe, happy, and loved. May all people here feel safe, happy, and loved. So see if you can bring to mind a time, perhaps during this retreat or a time recently when you acted unskillfully, perhaps with no intention, perhaps just out of frustration or stress. Just hold it in the mind. Don't turn it into a story. Just know which experience you'd like to work with. And see if you can feel any slight emotional reaction to having this reflection in your mind. The reaction might be a slight feeling of guilt or remorse or embarrassment or it might even be justification and rationalization. Well, I had a reason to do that. Whatever appears, just note And then let's bring self-compassion to this experience. May I forgive myself for my mistakes. May I care about my suffering. May I love myself as I am. And even if some of these phrases are not right for you, that's fine. Change them. Find phrases that work. May I forgive myself for my mistakes. 
May I care about my suffering. May I love myself as I am. And then bring to mind a time when you felt hurt or wounded, rejected, abandoned, mistreated by another, by a group of friends. unappreciated. Feeling the disappointment. Feeling the sadness that might come when one feels mistreated by others. May I care about this suffering. May I care about this suffering. Without any desire for any emotion to go away, just adding the compassion that we want to care about these feelings. May I care about this suffering. Gently allowing whatever image, feelings to subside, not pushing anything away, just bringing all the senses of this present moment. And then I'd like you to bring to mind a time when you were helpful, when you reached out to a friend, when you were generous. Or just think of your yogi job, the effort you put in. The efforts you've put into creating a safe container here for people to heal. The effort you've put in to be quiet and to be a part of this really rare experience for so many. Knowing all the efforts we put in, the care, the attention, may I feel feelings 
of worth and inner esteem. And may I continue to take these actions. And may I savor these times I spend connected with others on a spiritual journey. May feelings of self-worth and esteem increase. May I continue to take these actions. And may I really savor the feelings of warmth, connectedness, support that comes from joining others on a spiritual journey. Finally, bring to mind someone who throughout or at certain points of this retreat has been returning to your awareness. Someone that it's is difficult to let go of. It could be someone you love, but you don't want to ruminate while you're here. It could be someone that you're disappointed with. And in your head, you're perhaps telling them again and again, explaining, rationalizing, justifying, caught up. Any persistent visitor in the mind. knowing that our path is to open to this experience and to let go of that which hooks the mind. May I detach from this person with love. May I detach from this person with love. May I detach from this person with love. May they know what needs to be. May they do it. May I know what needs to be done. And may I do it. May they feel safe, happy, and loved. May I feel safe, happy, and loved. So in a moment I'm going to ring a bowl, bringing this practice to a close. And you'll have time before dinner to walk outside or do anything that feels auspicious. When you hear the sound, just Slowly open the eyes so that if there are any feelings or 
emotions or any state that may or may not have appeared over the course of not just this practice, but the yoga, the meditations you've done throughout the day, and all the work you've been doing. Just see if you can create a container where sight doesn't push away all of the feelings and emotional states.